Amen. Well, thank you for that. Well, if you take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter number 9, Mark chapter number 9, and as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter number 9, we're going to read verses 43 down through verse 50. Mark 9, 43 through verse 50. The Bible says this in Mark 9, verse 43, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life uh, I'm sorry, it is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy, thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to gather together this morning and to enjoy wonderful music, to even talk about some upcoming events that we're excited about. But Lord, uh, most of all, we're here to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, that would happen today, and that uh, you would speak to our hearts, and then again, Lord, we would be good hearers. More than that, help us to be good doers of what we hear. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. title of the message this morning is Calls of Sacrifice. I don't know why uh, my son is in Africa right now, and... I was thinking about David Livingston, who was a missionary to Africa, and he had this comment that he made. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa, David Livingston said. And then he said, can, it, can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, forgoing the common convenience of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall later be revealed in and through us. He went on to say, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made, which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. So David Livingston, as he sacrificed much of his life to get the gospel into the continent called Africa, said, please don't talk about my sacrifice. It's all about his sacrifice that we need to be talking about. In your hymnals, if 
there's one in front of you. I wanted to have you look into one of those hymns. Let's look at page hymn number 499 for those who have one right in front of you. Uh, we're talking about sacrifice today. Uh, not a topic that a lot of us like to talk about, but it is a topic that Jesus talked about. 499, the song is called, I, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? And Isaac Watts wrote these words, and he said, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? That's a good question. And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Verse 2 says, must, or stanza 2 says, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? See, so many in the past have sacrificed so much and we who are American Christians here in 2022 think that Christianity needs to be easy and comfy. We need to have soft Christianity because that's what I'm comfortable with. But that's not what God has called us to. Verse, stanza 3 says, Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? And then he ends with this. Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil. I'll endure the pain supported by thy word. So here uh, we learn about a soldier of the cross. And uh, God has called us to a life of sacrifice. And in this passage, we see Jesus calling his disciples, which I think all of us would say, hey, I want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, he calls them to a life of sacrifice. Now, of course, we prefer calls to comfort and ease. Hey, uh, you're going to have a whole bunch of money. You're going to have a whole bunch of uh, anything you want and nothing you don't want. That's the kind of call that we would like to receive, but that's not the call that Jesus has for his disciples. Earlier, Jesus called his disciples to take up their cross. If you look back in chapter number 8 of this a book, uh, chapter 8 and verse number 34, he says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So it's not taking up your, uh, your lazy boy or your sleep number bed. It take up your cross. Your cross was an instrument of death. And so Jesus called them in, in chapter number 8 to a life of sacrifice. And then he begins to spell out what that sacrifice is going to look like here in the passage that is before us. There are three calls of sacrifice in this very sober, sobering passage. And I want to take a moment and look at each of them uh, very briefly this morning as we make our way through this, these powerful words of our Savior. Most of us think of Jesus being this kind Lamb of God who laid down his life for us. And yes, he did. And yes, he was. But, but here he uh, says some very pointed uh, words, uh, words that we need to take heed to uh, today. So what are these calls of sacrifice? Well, let's look at them uh, this morning. First of all, let's look at the uh, call to holiness, call to holiness. We find this call in 
verses 43 all the way down through verse 40, number 48. As Jesus says here and talks about spiritual amputation. Now, I, for one, like the fact that I have both hands. I like the fact that I have both feet and that they're functioning, uh, which I know Brother Rick is looking forward to having his foot function a little bit better uh, in time. Uh, and I'm thankful for the fact that I have two eyes that work. Well, technically, I have four eyes. But anyway, uh, that's a different story. I can still see, and I'm thankful for that privilege. And uh, I'm not in any hurry to cut off any appendages. Uh, the closest that ever came to losing an appendage was when I was working on my car. Uh, I was wearing my wedding ring, working on my car battery. Not smart. Not the... Sh I was a few fry short of a Happy Meal when I decided to do that. Um, and uh, I, I was holding the wrench while I was on one terminal, and the end of that wrench was touching my wedding ring, and then I went down and touched the other terminal, and it created a circuit, heated up my ring, melted my skin around underneath that ring, and uh, I came running in, Julie, Julie. I'm in pain. <laughs> and she was like, oh, let me see. And she's, she's like, what's that smell? Well, it was a smell of burning flesh. That's a pleasant thought, isn't it? She got some dish soap, and we pulled that ring off finally. And I went to the doctor, and, and he said, you got close to, let, if that burned a little bit uh, more, it would have burned the nerve. We would have had to sever this finger. But as, I, as it stands right now, I have a permanent, I've been branded. So I'm married to her. Whether I have a ring on or not, I have a permanent ring. Um, I like all of my appendages. I don't want to remove any one of them. Um, my hair has decided to leave me, but that's, uh, that's not something I, I controlled on that. Now, here, in, as we read through uh, what Jesus is saying in verse 43 about cutting off the hand, and verse 45, cutting off your foot, and verse 47 about plucking out your eye he's not saying go and do it he was just saying it would be better if you did rather than to go into hell um, and so as a result we understand that um, parts of us can hinder our spiritual life and so he's saying in many ways let's let's perform a spiritual amputation now in the previous verse, in verse number 42, if you recall from last week, as we looked at um, the, the, the people work that, that we are called to as believers, we're, we're called to work with people and, and to treat others right. And in verse 42, there's a warning about uh, not offending the little ones. And now he uh, explains and, and calls his disciples to a life of holiness, all now, in 1 Peter 1, in, 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 verse, in chapter 1, I'm going to turn over there very quickly here. Verse, 1 Peter 1, in, verse, in chapter 1, we're called to be holy. In verse 15, he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We just sung a moment ago about the holiness of God. That, that, that's to... Um, Provoke us then to be holy in our own lives. And here he says, uh, we, need, we have been called to a life of holiness. And his disciples 
he said, look, you better make sure that your hand doesn't offend you, that your foot doesn't offend you, and that your eyes don't offend you, and limit your ability to impact others for Christ. So he calls us to holiness in three different areas. As we consider the hand, as we consider the feet, and as we consider the eyes, there's three areas of holiness that he calls us to. First of all, uh, he calls us to holiness in our working. In our working. Can someone's hands cause them to go astray from the Lord? Can someone's hands even cause them to go to a place called hell? According to the Lord Jesus, yes, it can. I think when, uh, when, when, when people are too busy working and that they don't have time for God, they're so focused on their work, what they're doing with their hands, that there's just simply no time for the Lord. I would go to church, but I have to work. I would read my Bible, but, you know, work is just so tiring and I need my sleep and rest so that I can work. Someone gets too focused on making money that they have no time for the things of God. Money became, becomes the priority and God is on second shelf. No time to read God's word. No time for prayer. No time for church. No time to serve the Lord. Why? Because I have too much to do at work. And paycheck by check, pay, paycheck, people earn their way to a place called hell. And even some Christians who are saved earn their way to an empty judgment seat as they get to the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus says, hey, what did you do with your time? Well, I worked and I earned money. And there's no rewards eternally. And somebody might say, well, pastor, I don't work for money. I, I, I just want to be a good team member. I, I, and, I, and I do it for the pride of my work. I mean, I've been given a job, and my dad and my mom taught me to work hard and, and, and good. I, I don't want to let my coworkers down, my boss down. Look, we should all do our best and care about our work, but if all we're after is the applause of men, we're aiming way too low. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So if all we're after is money and possessions, and uh, certainly uh, that can cause people to go astray. And Paul, as he writes to Timothy, warns them about the love of money, which is the root of all evil, which while some coveting after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows, the hands ended up offending them and caused great heartache and great harm in their spiritual life. Uh, we can definitely allow that to happen in our own lives. If we get so focused on making money and so focused on the secular work that God, is, that, that God has given to us and, and we put too much time into it, um, I, look, I want to encourage our people to work hard. I do. Uh, working hard is important. It's a necessary spiritual um, health issue. We do need to work hard. We don't want to be lazy, but we don't want to work to the point where we don't have time for God. And, and that's what I think we're, we're looking at here in verse number 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. So let's not get so wrapped up in our job where that becomes numero uno in our life. 
Let's make sure that God stays in the right place in our lives and that making money and serving our boss doesn't become more important than the Lord. So he calls us to a life of holiness in our working, but then secondly, in our walking. In verse 45, he says, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. This uh, is a reference to where our feet take us. I'm grateful for the ability to walk. I've had, uh, and this might be a little, this might be a little TMI for you, but I've had a couple ingrown toenails in my day, and they're the worst. I know there's some pain out there that other people have, but ingrown toenail. I mean, giving birth to a baby, ingrown toenail, <laughs> ingrown toenail. I get the martyr's crown for having that, no doubt. I'm teasing. Uh, but I remember when I first started uh, in California as a, as a young youth pastor, and I didn't have insurance, and it hadn't kicked in yet. And, and so I, was, I had an ingrown toenail, and, and I was trying to you know, do the home remedies and trying to fix it myself. And, and it just was getting worse and worse and worse as time went on. And finally, I, was, I kept, you know, every time I would walk, it would be like this, because I just didn't want to put any pressure on it. And, and, and finally, my pastor looked at me and he said, what's going on? And I'm like, well, I, I didn't want to mention anything, but I don't have insurance yet. And um, I, I have an ingrown toenail and it's getting worse. And he said, go to the doctor, we'll cover it, you know, we'll take care of it. You, we'll, you know, the insurance was going to kick in in like the next month. He's like, don't wait for that, just go take care of it. So I went and took care of it, and it fixed it. And ingrown toenails are horrible, okay? Being able to walk is amazing. It, it's, it's wonderful. But here's the deal, where do we walk when we do? They, our feet have the potential to take us to good places like the house of God, which the Lord allowed you to come here today and use your feet to get you here. Um, your feet can go to other people's homes and, and give them the gospel. The word of God talks about the beautiful feet of them that bring the gospel of peace. But there's also the potential to lead your feet to lead you to the wrong place, too. What are some wrong places? And you can maybe think of others, but I was thinking of some. The bar. Going to drink your sorrows away. Yeah, your feet take you there. You don't automatically end up there. Your feet take you there. The nightclub. The liquor store. Places of ill repute. You, 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 you fill in the blank there. Your feet can take you there, and then, and then all of a sudden you're in a place where you're compromised, or you're tempted to compromise your beliefs. Psalm 1 and verse 1 says, Blessed is the, is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of God, the law of the Lord. If you can hold your place here in Mark 9 and flip back to Proverbs chapter 1 very briefly. Show you just another passage about our feet and where they can go. 
Proverbs 1 and verse number 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. I have one of my sons here in the service today. And if sinners entice you, consent thou not. If they say, verse 11, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. Oh, we shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us and let us have all one purse. And then he says in verse 15, my son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. So there is a potential for us to uh, allow our feet to run to evil or to run to righteousness. And here, uh, going back to Mark chapter number 9, Jesus is calling his disciples to use their feet to run to righteousness and to avoid evil. Micah 6.8 he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. We're to use our feet to walk with God, to walk to the house of God, and to walk to others to share the Lord with them. Where are your feet leading you? If your feet are leading you to the wrong places where you're tempted to sin, Jesus says it's better for you to cut it off. I'm not saying you need to go and figure out how to take off your foot. Don't do that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's using hyperbole to convey a message of holiness to his disciples. So he says, I want you to be holy in your working, in your walking, but then thirdly here in your watching. Verse number 47, and if thy eye, thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Can our eyes cause us to go astray? Oh, yes. You say, well, pastor, it's, it's just one look. It's not going to hurt. Well, I would just like to ask the following people if that statement is true. Let's ask a lady by the name of Eve. As she was there in the Garden of Eden and the slimy, subtle serpent goes to her and says, hey, why don't you just look at this fruit for a little while? Here's what the Bible says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired and to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and... As a result, sin passed upon all men. You and I are sinners because of that moment that she looked at that fruit. Let's ask a man by the name of Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And both of them were very wealthy individuals. They got to the point where all their servants and All their possessions were kind of a little crowded in a little area. So Abraham said, you know what, let's let's figure out where we want to go. And and so he let his nephew 
make the choice. And so here's what Lot did. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so Abraham ended up dwelling in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. So every morning as they, you know, wake up and zip open the tent. Okay, they probably didn't have zip, zipper tents, you know. But I can just a picture, you know, whenever I've gone camping, it's been in a tent. There's a zipper. They zzz, you hear that, 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 you can hear it. You look out, and, and, as, and as Lot did, he saw Sodom. And morning after morning, he would get up, and his family would get up, and they would look at Sodom. And eventually, we find Lot in Sodom. But not only is he in Sodom, he's part of Sodom because he is now uh, sitting at the gate with the elders. He's part of the city council. So he sees Sodom, then he goes and dwells in Sodom, and then Sodom begins to dwell in him and in his family so much that when the Lord was going to destroy, his wife turns around and becomes a pillar of salt. And then his daughters do an unthinkable act of, pervers- of, of perversion after the fact. You say, one look won't hurt. Okay. Yeah, Eve says, yes, it does. Lot says, yes, it does. What about Achan? Achan there is they... Uh, as the nation of Israel go and face Jericho and those walls come tumbling down and they go and, and, and the Lord said not to go and uh, take any type of spoils for yourselves because that was the first city that they were able to, that they overcame and all the spoils belonged to the Lord. After that, God was going to bless later on. Well, Achan took something and when finally he was confronted about it. Here's what he said. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Achan and his family were killed as a punishment for that sin. So Achan, does one look matter? Yeah, it does. What about David? When King David was supposed to go to battle, David said, "Ah, uh, no, not me, I'm not going. Well, the Bible says, And it came to pass in an even tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. He ended up having an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, ended up, losing their first child, ended up having tremendous family turmoil and heartache and regret and scars because of one look. What about Demas? Demas, the Bible says simply this, hath forsaken me, Paul said, having loved this present world. See, here was a man who labored with the apostle Paul. He rubbed shoulders with the greatest Christian uh, probably in history. And somehow he got his eyes off of the Lord and onto the world. 
Now, what is the love of the world, you ask? Well, the Apostle John answered that question in 1 John 2, verse 16, where he said, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Does one look matter? Yeah, it does. Then somebody who's not in the Bible, but he had something to say about it. And that was a man by the name of Ted Bundy who was an American serial killer back in the 1970s. During a five-year span in the 1970s, he kidnapped, raped, and murdered numerous young women and girls. He confessed to doing this to 30 different women in that time frame and was suspected in doing this to perhaps even 50 different women and girls. Well, how did it start? Well, according to his interview with Focus on the Family uh, founder, Dr. James Dobson, just hours before he was executed in the electric chair, Mr. Ted Bundy admitted that he possessed none of the normal triggers, none of the normal triggers for such sinful behavior. As he was raised in a loving Christian home with five siblings and did not experience any sexual abuse growing up. Rather, he confessed in clear detail how, as a young boy, he began viewing common pornography which grew into increasingly harder and more deviant forms of pornography that eventually led to his acting out of his evil fantasies. Here are his words in that interview. He said, It is important to me that people believe what I'm saying. I'm not blaming pornography. I'm not saying it caused me to go out and do certain things. I take full responsibility for all the things that I've done. That's not the question here. He said, the issue is how this kind of literature contributed and helped mold and shape the kinds of violent behavior that I had. Later in that interview, he said, I'm no social social scientist and I don't pretend to believe what John Q. Citizen thinks about this. He said, but I've lived in prison, prison for a long time now and I've met a lot of men who are motivated to commit violence. He said, without exception, every one of them was deeply involved in pornography, deeply consumed by the addiction. He said the FBI's own study on serial homicide shows that the most common interest among serial killers is pornography. It's true. Those are the words of a serial killer. Now, I'm not saying today that if you go and look at porn, you're automatically going to become a serial killer. But you will open yourself up to something that has led to that type of behavior. So why would we want to go down that road at all? And if nothing else, pornography no doubt destroys the mind, destroys relationships with others, and our relationship with God. Now, I praise the Lord for the eternal security of the believer that once we're saved, we're always saved. Nothing can sever that relationship. But that doesn't mean that it can't, that fellowship can't be destroyed and that uh, the effectiveness for God can't be destroyed. Look, Jeremiah said in Lamentations uh, 3 and verse 51, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. So what we look at absolutely impacts our hearts. That's why Job said in Job 31 and verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I leave? think upon a maid. And it's perhaps why the psalmist said this 
in Psalm 101, in verse number 3, I believe it is, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I was looking up some statistics here about pornography and the use of it, and I came across this statistic. 64% of men and 15% of women say that they watch intentionally pornography at least once a month. Oh, actually, I didn't read that correct. Let me read that correctly. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they watch pornography at least once a month. So as I look at the room today, I hope that that's not true here at our church. But statistically, it doesn't look good. According to data from the SEM Rush traffic analytics tool, as of May 2021, so this is almost a year old, porn sites received more website traffic in the United States than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. Jesus is calling us to a life of holiness. And I realize it's harder in this day and age with the access that we have to the filth that is out there. But that doesn't mean that we have an excuse now to go and live however we want. We have been called to a life of holiness I wish I had a little more time to get into how we can be holy in these areas. Um, But here Jesus is just throwing it out there. He doesn't give a lot of instruction on how. He just says, be holy in these areas. Be holy in your working. Be holy in your walking. Be holy in your watching. Sober thoughts. Sober thoughts. So we have a call to holiness. Secondly, very quickly here, we have a call to help. Verse number 49, for every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Most commentators struggle with these verses to figure out exactly where the Lord is going with this. Um. I don't know that I have my head totally wrapped around what all these verses mean, but we do here have in verse number 50, salt is good. If the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. We, we, he, he, he calls them to help, and we know that being the salt of the earth is what he calls us to. And, and in doing so, he calls them first, uh, very quickly here, to have an inward righteousness. In verse 50, he says, have salt in yourselves. Live a holy life. Have an inward righteousness. Yes, have an inward righteousness that is not your own through your relationship with Christ. But then also live a life, live a righteous life. Earlier in his ministry to his disciples, Jesus called 
uh, his disciples and us to be the salt of the earth. But if we are going to be effective to be a preserving influence in our society, we better be sure to have a righteous life to back up our message. Philippians 1.27, I said I was going to mention a couple thoughts from this. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, your life better match the gospel. Your conversation, your life, let it be becoming of the gospel of Christ. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. You say, Pastor, amen, you should live the gospel because you're preaching the gospel. And you'd be right. I should. But guess who else is supposed to preach the gospel? Oh, I'm looking at him. And when I look in the mirror, I see somebody who should be preaching the gospel. But when I look out among you, I look at a whole bunch of people that should be preaching the gospel. And if we're going to preach the gospel, we better be sure that we're living of the gospel, that our life is backing it up. One of the biggest excuses that a lot of people give for not becoming a Christian is the hypocrisy of other Christians. Maybe you've heard that too. I would become a Christian, but... All the Christians I know are worldly and live for the devil. They may go to church, but there's no difference between them and, and me. Well, here's a, just a couple quick thoughts that I want to share about that. First of all, that excuse is not going to fly at the great white throne judgment. The unsaved in that moment are going to be judged according to their works not the works of the Christians that they knew. And so there's going to be, well, I would have been saved. I would have trusted Christ except for the, my neighbor or my friend or my coworker who was a Christian who didn't live for God. That's not going to help them in that moment. They are responsible to make a decision to trust Christ regardless of the actions of Christians around them. But here's another thought. No one is perfect. We're all, in a way, hypocrites if you look close enough at our lives, right? There's not a person in this room today that if you examine their lives enough, you won't find something wrong. You won't find some type of skeleton in a closet somewhere. We're all sinners. And even as believers, we still are not perfect. Uh, God is still doing a work in us. We've not arrived. We can all re relate to the Apostle Paul when he said, For the good that I would... I do not. But the evil which I would not, well, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sang it earlier in the service, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. All of us are in that boat. And so if you were to depend your salvation upon my Christian righteousness, you you're going to probably find a hypocrite if you look hard enough. And, and thirdly, here's another thought. It is interesting that many unsaved people have a higher standard for Christians than Christians have for themselves. Unsaved people cry foul when they see a Christian drink alcohol, go to the bar, go to strip clubs, find out they indulge in worldly entertainment, and they go, wait, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. And us Christians try to justify our sinful behavior. And they see an inconsistency, a disconnect there, and, and there is a disconnect. 
They see rightly that there is hypocrisy, and it ought not to be that way in our lives. He calls us to have salt in ourselves and to have an inward righteousness, but in doing so, he also encourages us to have an outward responsibility. An outward responsibility here. While we need to be sure that we have salt in ourselves, the reason is so that God can use us to be the salt of the earth, to be a preserving influence in our world. So if you've ever wondered why the Lord didn't take you to home, home to glory the moment you trusted Christ, it's because He has a purpose for your life, a mission for you to accomplish. And that's going to look different for all of us, right? But the one thing that He wants us all to do is to be the salt of the earth, to impact others for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see He's given us a call of sacrifice to holiness Sacrifice to help, and then thirdly, and lastly here, a call to harmony. As we look at verse number 50 here, he says, have salt in yourselves, and then he says, have peace one with another. Now, no doubt, this is a reference back to the argument that these disciples were having on their journey to Capernaum back earlier in the chapter. Remember when they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest. No, 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 no. I've got 87 reasons why I'm going to be the greatest. And they were debating and arguing about who would be greatest. Jesus says, would you knock it off and have peace one with another? So he calls them to harmony, to get along. Philippians 1.27 again says, to strive together for the faith of the gospel, not strive against each other for the faith of the gospel. There's a couple other references in Philippians that Paul had to deal with this idea of getting along and having peace one with another. In Philippians 2 and verse number 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He says, let's, let's get along. Let's be of the same love, uh, of one accord, of one mind. And then in Philippians 4, in verse number 2, he gets down to it and begins to name some names. So he says in verse number 2, he says, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There were two women who... We don't know what it was. We don't know what kind of disagreement, what kind of debate they were having, what kind of argument that that was going on, what kind of, maybe it was a personality clash. We don't know what it was, but they were obviously not of the same mind, and it was causing division in the church. Paul said, ladies, stop it. Knock it off. Get along with one another. Have peace one with another. And the Lord desires that we would get along with one another and be at peace. Uh, Paul said in Romans 12, he said in verse 18, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with the men that you can get along with. No. He said, live peaceably with all men. There is a, as much as lieth in you, but we are to get along and live peaceably with all men as believers. 
Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify one another. Look, it's high time for us to put away our pettiness and strive together for the faith of the gospel. We have a big job to do. We have to reach this community and preach the gospel to every creature. We have to uh, reach the world at the same time through our missions program. We're going to have a hard time doing that if all we do is fight with one another. If all I have to do as a pastor is be a fireman and put out fires in the church, there, there's bigger things. Look, I, I, I wanted to be a fireman when I was growing up, but not that type of fireman. I want to put out and rescue people from the flames of hell. That's what I want to do. And so I want to encourage us as a church family to get along with one another, to have peace one with another as Jesus calls his disciples to a life of sacrifice. Now, let me wrap this up because it is not this morning anymore. And I want us to get to the restaurants before the Methodists do. I'm just kidding. Today, we've looked at the call, some calls of sacrifice for those who follow Christ. And it may seem that these are big, sacrifice, big sacrifices for him to ask us to make. Well, I will tell you again, as we reference back to David Livingston and his uh, statement at the beginning of the message, these sacrifices that Christ is calling us to make are nothing compared to the sacrifice he was willing to make for us. You see, he laid down his life for us on the cross of Calvary so that we, through his sacrifice, could spend eternity with him. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So for those here today who have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I take a moment to tell you that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to this world in the form of a little baby born, born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago? That boy named Jesus grew up and lived a perfect and sinless life and died a cruel death on the cross of Calvary for you. He was buried, but three days later, up from the grave, he arose. He lives today. And he did all that so that you could be forgiven of your sin and have eternal life in heaven. But you must repent and believe on Jesus. Will you do that today? And Christian brother, sister, let's have the same mentality that a preacher of yesteryear named C.T. Studd had when he said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Call to holiness. To sacrifice, to make the right priorities in my life, and to put some guardrails so that I don't uh, go astray. Sacrifice to help people. Sometimes people don't want to be helped. Some people aren't nice when you try to help them. I'm not comfortable dealing with people. Well, we've been called to be the salt of the earth. And then called the sacrifice of harmony, to have peace one with another. I, I, I'm right, and they're wrong. And until they admit it, I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm asking you to, to say, does it really, really matter? 
let's sacrifice because he sacrificed so much for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your love. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross of Calvary, Lord. And as we get ready to celebrate Easter here in just three weeks, Lord, we are mindful of what you did for us on the cross and, and how you rose again. And Lord, I, I pray you'd help us to receive the, the calls of sacrifice today. Help us, Lord, as believers to live in such a way that we would be holy in our, in our work. Lord, that we would not allow money or the pride of work to cause us to go astray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in our walking to make sure that our feet don't lead us to places that would cause us to fall into great sin. And Lord, when it comes to our watching, Lord, there is a great need for us to guard our eyes and to, like Job said, make a covenant with our eyes. And to, like the psalmist said, decide that they're gonna, we're going to set no wicked thing before our eyes. Knowing that what we look at will affect our hearts. Help us, Lord, to also receive the, uh, the call to, to help and to serve and to be the salt of the earth. And then to have harmony with other bro- brothers and sisters in the Lord. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Miss Pat to play through on this first song and this next song and as she does I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat as the Lord has perhaps spoken to your heart I want to give you a time to talk to him about what he has talked to you about